what is one of the most common conditions you might experience postpartum? In fact, there are over 3 million cases of women per year who are suffering of this condition. If you guessed postpartum depression, you're right. Postpartum depression, commonly referred to as PPD, can make you think things like, is this normal? Am I a bad mom? Why am I having these thoughts? Did I make a mistake? Today, we learn from mental health advocate, entrepreneur, and mama, Sasha Nicole, and her severe experience with postpartum depression. You'll learn from her struggle that it's important to speak up when these thoughts come instead of staying silent. Now, you should know that her experience was a very hard one, and she doesn't hold back. So, if you're not in a safe place right now for this conversation, maybe save this one for later and go check out last week's episode. If you're sticking around, by the end of this episode, you will be empowered by a mama whose strength was so impressive that she created a nonprofit organization called Partum Evolution, dedicated to women of color experiencing postpartum depression. The only way that we can normalize something like PPD is to share stories like Sasha's so you know how to navigate the fear and the anger that may arise. And you know that you are not crazy. You just need a little support. You're listening to the Mamas in Training podcast, giving aspiring and expecting mamas guidance and community from moms who have been there. I'm your host, Jessica Lorian. However, I'm not yet a mom. An autoimmune disease delayed my journey into motherhood, so I've made it my mission while I heal to learn with you all about motherhood. So together, we can be as prepared as possible. And postpartum depression is one condition that we can never fully prepare for. However, there are support systems that we can put into place ahead of time and ways that we can advocate for ourselves in the moment that will largely diminish the experience of PPD. Let's learn from Sasha Nicole how she dug herself out of a severe case of postpartum depression. This episode is sponsored by Boom Boom Blowout Bodysuits. Picture this, you're out for a day of errands with your baby. They've already soaked their fresh diaper and the extras you brought, but after a quick change, they're finally sleeping. So you grab yourself a quick coffee, but then they wake up screaming. So you pick them up and what is on your hands? It's a blowout. There goes the last diaper, the baby's clothes, and your own clothes. Well, with Boom Boom Blowout bodysuits, diaper blowouts are covered. Literally, the entire back of each bodysuit contains waterproof polyurethane laminate fabric that is bonded between two layers of super soft, unbleached organic cotton, making blowouts no longer a stress. Trust me, I saw it in action, and it's amazing how strong these bodysuits are. So this Mother's Day, treat yourself to less stress and let Boom Boom Baby Company cover that mess by clicking the link in the show notes and using the code MAMASPOD25. That's M-A-M-A-S-P-O-D-25 for 25% off at checkout, because nobody has time for a blowout. And now, here is Sasha. 
So first off, when I had my daughter, um, I went into an emergency C-section. Her vitals started dropping, and so I was completely unprepared to go through that experience from um, a C-section because in my mind, I had this idea that I would have this vaginal birth of what I considered to be normal delivery. So that was my first state of shock and going through that experience. And then um, in having her, I remember um, when they put her on my chest and just instantly not feeling these elated feelings of joy, that that feeling that you see in the movies or the TV where they say, you know, you'll be so happy, it'll change your life, it'll be the best feeling in the world. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have that feeling. I didn't have that moment. And that moment, you know, never came for me. And I wanted to have that moment. And so uh, I thought that it would maybe come later that I would just have that aha, like, oh my God, like this, this beacon of light that I now Mm -hmm. have. Um, and, and that wasn't, that wasn't there. And instead I, I'm, I'm more so felt like this feeling of, of obligation of like, okay, now she's here. This is, uh, my journey begins. I'm supposed to do certain things because I'm her mother. Uh, and so as I went home, I had a good job. I had just got my master's degree. I was at home, was working from home. Uh, with a good company, and I actually went went back to work as soon as my eight weeks were up. Mm-hmm. So as, as soon as my eight weeks were up, I was pretty much back in the office, and then I was able um, to get more teleworking options. Um, but it was an immediate uh, thing. And then her father traveled a lot, so he was not at the at the house with me a lot uh, at all. And my family, my father and his wife didn't live far from me, but my father, being a military uh, father, Mm-hmm. I was very hands off in his approach of of help and and feeling as though well you know it's your child like you know you take care of her type of type of attitude it wasn't a communal type of support in terms of you know where you see other families kind of gather together I didn't really have a lot of support at all my friends at the time didn't understand the relation of being a mom I was one of the first people out of my friendship circles. Uh, to have a child. And so there was there was no relatability there. And that really mm-hmm. changed the dynamic of, of my friendships. My mother at the time lived in Seattle. So I didn't have her as a support system. And, you know, as I mentioned with my father and his wife, his wife tried to be there in, in terms of just talking to me or, or providing any insight that she could. Uh, but there was really not a lot of support surrounding me at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. So I was I was very much alone. And then her father was from a different state, was from North Carolina. And so we lived in Virginia at the time. And and so his family was not close to me. So I spent a lot of time um, by myself completely. It felt incredibly lonely. It felt incredibly overwhelming. And I felt like I had made the biggest mistake of my life. I didn't know that I needed that that type of support that going in now, if having another child that I, that I would create that community. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't, it didn't dawn on me at that time that that community was needed, that family was needed, that support was like, I just kind of felt like I'm an adult, you know, I've gone to school, I'm working a regular job, I can do this, I'm a woman, mm-hmm. I felt fully capable and competent that I could be a good mom. and. Uh, that wasn't uh, what tra- what transpired. Like I, I felt like a terrible mom, and I felt mm-hmm. like I was unprepared for what it really looked like taking care of of an of an infant. 
after having the C-section, being by myself, you know, how they, they recommend that you not go up and down steps and have to do a lot of work and things, yeah. you know, on your cut. And for me, that wasn't an option. I didn't have anyone to help assist me. So I was, you know, carrying her car seat and stuff by myself mm. up and down. I mean, at this point, you know, I'm essentially uh, operating as a single mother until her dad would come home from off of the road in his travels. And, and even then, a lot of times fathers aren't sure, you know, how to provide support right. in certain what? ways. Yeah. yeah. And so for him, especially when I started to um, react emotionally, where I would just cry uncontrollably, not knowing why, um, he just, he, he was unsure of, well, what am I supposed to do here? What type of support am I supposed to give? Or, you know, so, you know, when those first eight weeks, I'm going up and down the steps, I'm going by myself, I'm doing a lot of things on my own, I'm, I'm in pain. Uh, but on top of that, my daughter would cry, like I, there were things going on with her that I didn't know or, or understand what to look for. She's crying all the time. She had a reverse sleeping schedule. That would mean that instead of the child sleeping at night, the child sleeps through the day. And so you try to, which is that old saying of why they, when the child starts going to sleep during the day, why they try to wake the child up to, to try to keep the child up so that they can go to sleep at night. So you're not up all night. Well, for her, it wasn't happening. She wasn't functioning that way. And then at night, she was just crying completely. I mean, all night, it was something that I didn't bargain for. It was something that I didn't I didn't understand like you know I kept hearing certain sounds while she would be sleeping and so I, I, I would talk to the doctor and say I think there's something wrong with her and so that's important because sometimes there is you know something going on with our children and we don't we don't know the answers and we were and we're saying you know hey I, I think this may be happening later on it was found out that she had some lung issues going on which probably contributed to her crying spells and so I'm not only going through the battle with her but I'm going through the battle with doctors too because I know what I'm hearing and I know that I'm not making it up. And and so eventually I had to actually demand that, no, I want you to take x-rays of her. So she, at this point now, is becoming a sickly child, which is only adding to my frustration and my anger at this time. And I, I do have to point out, you know, we always are talking on this podcast about advocacy and hearing that you had to do that. And you did it, especially in a moment of feeling so alone, it's so important for us to know that if we feel something, you know, we know in our gut, we're the only ones there experiencing it, whether it's with our baby or with our own bodies, the fact that you were able to demand that, no, this needs to change, we need an answer, that's that's inspiring to hear. So, so thank you for inspiring women to do that. You took the words right out of my mouth, you know, that you were feeling anger. What other things were you feeling at that time? I felt, and I'm not deeply religious, but I do believe in God, and and I felt angry at God. I felt like you gave me this sick child, and I'm having to do all of these things by myself. I was angry at my circumstances. I felt like I, I didn't make the right choice. I felt like, was it the right thing to, to do having this child of, of being pregnant? I started to question just everything going on around me, my relationship. I mean... Everything in my life was a question at this point, and I was extremely angry. And, you know, dealing with all of the things as a mom just made me even angrier. What made it get you to the point that's like, I need help? It took me a while to acknowledge that I needed help because I I was uninformed. I, one, didn't even know about postpartum depression when uh, I had my daughter. I had no idea that that even existed. 
No one had ever talked to me about that. That wasn't something that they went over during my pregnancy, maybe saw a pamphlet in the in the uh, hospital or something, but it didn't resonate. I didn't know what that was. And so at, in the beginning, I didn't know that what I was experiencing that I needed necessarily help. I, at first, I just thought that, okay, I'm just being emotional. I'm upset. There are some circumstances happening beyond my control. It'll be fine. And then when I started questioning, like, well, maybe I'm not as competent as I thought. Maybe I'm not as capable as I thought, questioning myself in every regard. Uh, but when it came down to when I would walk past the stairs and I would look at the wall, when I would think about dropping her off at a fire station, when I started having those type of thoughts, that was when I said to myself, something isn't right because I didn't, I felt like out of all the thoughts that I'm having, these don't seem to be quite normal. Like I shouldn't be having thoughts of harming her. I shouldn't be having thoughts wishing that she just wouldn't be here or even thoughts of harming myself. Though those were the moments where I said, I think there's something happening bigger than what I'm able to explain in this moment. How long did these last or, or, or about when was it that these thoughts started to trickle into your brain? I started having thoughts of harming her probably around maybe three or four months is when I started having those thoughts and it lasted. I went into a severe mode for well over a year where I would have those type of thoughts um, and become considerably close to acting out on those thoughts. And I just remember like the, the moment where I felt like I'm gonna really throw her against this wall or I'm gonna throw her down these steps and I would just sit her in the seat in the middle of the room and I would leave and, and go to another room and just shut my door because that was all I felt like I could do so that I wouldn't act out on the actual thought that I was having. When I went to the doctor, you know, when you go to the doctors and the checkups and they say, well, how are you feeling? And I'd, and I'd say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm fine. So for almost a year, I would say I'm fine and everything's okay except for, you know, the things that were going on with her in terms of her issues that she was having. It's so ironic that even in the midst of that, I still had a motherly instinct in terms of just knowing that they're seen like with her crying or me hearing gargling. That is a sheer gift that yeah. moms have regardless of the situation. That was the irony about it. After the first year, I finally said something to my, my OB and I said, I'm having like thoughts and I'm feeling really bad. I'm feeling down. And I didn't really go into detail about the thoughts I was having. I just expressed that I was feeling depressed uh, because at this point, I'm, I'm afraid to tell somebody I'm thinking about that because I, I don't want to be labeled. I don't want them to call social services. Like I, I didn't know what the result would be if I said something like that. And I, I didn't want to be committed or anything like that. So I, I just, I, I didn't think that it would be safe for me to ever say the thoughts that I was having. But you were definitely experiencing what we would now call postpartum depression. So is that something that the doctor diagnosed you with once you told them what was going on? Yeah, she said that she thought I was having a mild case of postpartum depression, and that was when I started to learn about what postpartum depression was and started to do some more research. Had she known that I was having the other thoughts that I was having, right. I'm sure that there would have been uh, something different explained and expressed. It's eye-opening for me to hear your fear in not wanting to share these thoughts. It's not uncommon but it's also doesn't have to happen to you. So hearing you say that you would be scared of admitting what you're thinking because social services might come, I mean, 
that is a heavy burden to bear. And so it's just really inspiring to hear you say that so that the women who are listening can know this is not about social services. This is not about your baby being taken away, but in fact, it's about taking care of yourself and being open and honest and vulnerable as soon as those ideas start to creep in. Because yes, it is somewhat common, but you don't have to be suffering and you especially don't have to be suffering for this long. So after you told your doctor these things and withheld a little bit of information, <laughs> what, what, did, what did she do? Her first thing she did was prescribe me Zoloft and mm. I was unwilling to even consider taking um, an antidepressant at that time in my life. I was raised to consider that type of, of treatment as not an option. In hindsight, I, I, f- I feel like that would have been an admission of, of some sort of guilt. It would have been an admission that there is something wrong with me. And I was not in a place of accepting, let alone admitting that there was something wrong with me or wrong with my mind. And so I took the prescription and, and never never got a fill and went home, still left untreated. I should have been more expressive because as you mentioned, you know, it, it really is for the safety of yourself to, to talk to someone, to tell someone. And if you don't want to start with the doctor to, to tell someone close to you in your life that you're having these feelings. And, you know, for me, when I first did express something to one of my family members, their first statement was, well, you're not the only mother in the world. Um, mm. <laughs> and so when that's, you know, when that's that the lack response, of validation. Yeah. That, so yeah. now you're, you're already thinking like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm not the only mom in the world. So surely I must be able to pull myself up by the bootstrap and get over it. Yeah. I think it's important for us to touch quickly on there's three different types of experiences that you can have postpartum and they're all very different, but each of them I think is important to share with whether it's a, a doctor, your pediatrician, a, a close friend, a therapist, whatever. The first one is baby blues. That's a little bit more just sadness and moodiness, only lasting about two weeks or so. Then there's mm-hmm. what we're talking about today, which is postpartum depression that can last months or even like with your experience, year or more. And then there's an extreme version, which is postpartum psychosis, which is considered more of a serious mental illness that you know, is, is going to be further acting on different things and how you feel. And I would almost assume that if you hadn't found ways to carefully manage the experiences and the symptoms that you were going through, that you could have truly been experiencing postpartum psychosis. So how did you manage? What did you do? How did you move through this? For me, it it looks untraditional. Because I refused to take the medication, I I didn't have that treatment. And so I continued to suffer longer than what I I know that I probably could have. I do think that if I had been more open to a form of treatment or to some form of therapy, um, because therapy wasn't the first suggestion also. So her first suggestion, right, her first suggestion was the antidepressant. I didn't even think about it from a therapy standpoint 
at all, nor was that suggested to me. And, and, and it's important, you know, that a lot of mothers know like about the variety of different options and, and, and treatment that you can start off with. Because sometimes, you know, if you are uninformed, if you don't know, if you are a first time mom, you know, you're not, you're not sometimes thinking of those things. And sometimes if you're not with a culturally competent doctor or just someone who is looking to get you out in 10 minutes, you, you may not you may not have the conversation that you need to have. It literally was the sheer strength of me trying to reprogram my mind and like do everything that I can in my power not to act on those thoughts that, you know, that really just started to kind of get me out um, of that space. And and the the one thing that really started to to just really transcend the experience was there was a time my daughter and I we were driving and we passed a, a fatal accident. And it looked, it just was one of those accidents where you just knew you felt it. It was terrible. All of the highway was pretty much shut down as we finally passed it. I looked over and saw cars that were just completely wiped out. And, and I thought to myself, what if that was us? What if we had gotten in that car accident? And in that moment, I thought, I said to myself, God, if that ever happens to me, let her live and take my life and let her have a good life. And that was the first moment that I ever felt that I was a mom, that I felt connected, that I felt any sense of love that I didn't even think that I had. I knew that I, that I loved her. Like I felt like there was love there, but I just couldn't feel the emotion of it. But in feeling the, the possibility of her truly dying in a tragic way or her, just her not being there and me wanting to sacrifice my life for the sake of her own was the moment that really started to change for me in terms of having a connection, of having different views and thoughts of what motherhood really looked like for me. And then what did life look like on the other side? It still was work, you know? It it wasn't instantaneous, but I was more open to, to one, addressing, you know, how I was feeling, and two, working on the thing, like, we don't talk about, I was already predisposed, you know, to depression, before having my daughter. And that's something that we don't acknowledge and something that we don't think about as moms is that who we were before we became a mom and who I was before I became a mom was already someone who had dealt with depression and anxiety prior, but never thought that it would it would take place in my pregnancy. Again, not being aware of what mental health really looked like. So I had to start working on the issues that I already had existing before I even became a mother. And because I also grew up in a household that was not affectionate. And my daughter, who was a very touchy-feely child, and to this day is extremely affectionate, I had to work on what it was within me that didn't, that didn't yeah. like that. What did that, that didn't look like her. Like yeah, what did what did love look like for me? And what did it look like showing affection to this being who wanted to be held and touched and loved? <laughs> I had no clue. And so I had to really learn. And the irony is she has really like shown me what that has looked like. And and even to this day, she she takes her hugs or she'll act she'll ask me, she'll like, oh, okay, I, mommy, I want a hug. She just always wants hugs. She <laughs> Wow, she wants this so type of, of love. And um, and so those, you know, were things that I really had to had to start learning 
that I had to start doing, that I had to start acknowledging, that I had to start owning and, and, and working on. And eventually I did start going to therapy on a regular basis and really practicing things for myself. I didn't start getting into the mindset of like, I have to be well in order for her to be well until much later. And that really had to become my mantra. Like I have to be well in order for me to be a better mom. Oh my goodness, Sasha, that's just so stunning to hear. It's almost like that little girl was made and brought into your life to soften your heart, to open <laughs> you up and to teach you such an unbelievable life lesson. You know, yeah. it's like she, she turned a mirror onto you and your life and how you needed to grow, not only as a mom, but as a woman. Absolutely. And she made me reflect on things that I thought that I was healed from that I wasn't yeah. because, you know, we also don't think about how we grew up, whether you were abused physically, emotionally. I mean, there's so many components so that matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they matter when you are bringing life into this world because you can think that, you know, that whatever may have happened to you or whatever your experience was, well, that was a past experience. But it comes up in your present, in your future, when you are raising children, because it's sometimes familiarity of, of what you know. Yeah. If you could go back in time, what would you have done differently? I would have definitely, you know, prepared myself better in terms of one, informing myself with more knowledge about what happens after pregnancy more than just like, oh, you're raising a kid, but like what really happens with your body? What really happens sometimes with your mind? I definitely would have just gained some more knowledge about that. And I would have started to really create a support system of looking to see if there were any type of groups that I could be a part of, any type of mom groups, if there was just any other resources um, for me. And, and at the time, you know, when I did finally start looking for that, there wasn't a lot that existed during that time for me in my area. Um, but I, I would have just started, you know, having more conversations with other women, with other moms, with trying to create more network or resources of, of friends or, you know, tapping in and in, into people, even if they didn't have a child, but just tapping into someone, you know, who could be there for me. And I didn't think that, you know, I needed to, to be that prepared or to do that. But you do. You need to have a community. You need to have a support system. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, but, but I would recommend that it does have to be at least someone, someone that you can talk to during that time and that transition in your life. Absolutely. So the beauty of the hardships that we go through is that they can often turn into amazing things for other people and we can turn them into good which is exactly what you did, and you are the founder of Partum Evolution. Share with us what this is and how women who are listening might be able to get that community that you're speaking of in a way that is just so specific and so needed today. Absolutely. So Partum Evolution is my nonprofit, and it offers a place of relatability and community um, for moms who are at risk or have experienced a postpartum mood disorder. And so the purpose is to basically show that you can overcome postpartum depression and that you can thrive afterward. And so what we work to do is to really highlight the prevalence of perinatal mood disorders, especially in communities of color. And we shed light on the experiences of women during their pregnancy and their birthing journeys. Uh, and we try to create a safe space for moms to have conversations, to build connections, to form a community. Uh, and just really, we want to impact globally. We want to globally empower moms by increasing the awareness and treatment and prevention of postpartum mood disorders. We 
are, are really working hard to incorporate a lot of different programming to help moms and especially as I mentioned especially moms of color who you know there's a lot of disparities and a lot of times in those communities where mental health is not talked about at all and and you know it's something that you just don't you don't mention and so we really want to to shed light in underserved communities as well who are not getting the access to health care that they need and so we just want to create an ongoing community for moms everywhere to really create a, a, a safe space and in a place where they can receive resources, they can receive different services that will help them through that time um, and be able to have someone that they can turn to uh, and who offers relatability. Absolutely. And the resources don't have to come at a high price. You have a free course. You want to share that as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for reminding me. I do. So anybody, you can go to the website at partumevolution.org. And when you see the tab course, it's a free course, Managing Postpartum Depression. It's an audio course as well. So you don't have to read anything or click through anything online. Um, But you can just listen. And I walk you Mm -hmm. through all of the stages of postpartum, what it looks like, how you can maintain, how you can get through it, resources that you can go to, places that you can go, and you can download that for absolutely free. It's so amazing. You're also creating a documentary that I can't wait to hear more about. It's in the process, right? It is. It is. I went yeah. around the country filming different oh. women and their stories um, of their postpartum experience. Mm-hmm. And everyone's story is different. I mean, it doesn't always look like wanting to harm your child. It could look like you having OCD. It could look like you having severe anxiety. I mean, there's so many different stories that are not only interesting, but necessary to hear and understand that they exist. And and so there's a lot of footage that I have to go through and I'm working really hard to put that together, but you know, cost. And so we're working yeah. on trying to raise donations for the organization so that um, we can finalize that documentary and really put it out there to help women around the country, around the world, hopefully, to really just start having the conversation because really that's where it starts. I mean, we just have to really start having the conversation about it and what our experiences are as moms. And a lot of times we're not doing that. Well, all the links to connect with you, to find the birth course, to donate to the documentary, we'll put those in the show notes so people can easily access them. It's it's really empowering that you've become this mental health advocate for women, for women of color, for mothers, truly through what you experienced. So what would you say to an expecting mom right now? What do they need to know before they give birth? The first thing I would say is acknowledge who you are. You know, really take a moment to acknowledge who you are and begin to understand and unpack the layers that that come with you and, and that come with your experience as a person, as a woman, like you have to first understand that um, as you transition into motherhood, because that doesn't go anywhere. You don't just, you're not just a mom just because you have a child. Like there was someone there before that child came and you need to know that woman and and know Mm -hmm. what she needs and who she is. Uh, And the other thing I'd say is that no matter what happens, no matter what the experience is, good, bad, or indifferent, never forget that you are enough and believe that, that, you know, those 
moments that I question my capability, my competency, you are enough. You are enough and you are designated to lead and, and be this child's mother and you can and you will be able to get through no matter what the situation or circumstance is. Like you are fully capable and competent and you are enough to, to be that child's mom and to be a great mom. Don't ever think that you can't be or that if, if you feel postpartum that this automatically cancels you out from having that because that that's not true and and you and you can do that so the most important thing for you to do if you start experiencing thoughts like sasha is to tell someone if that is you and you have been feeling low for longer than two weeks or have thoughts of hurting yourself or your baby or your future baby i am here to get support for you and i want to help you send an email to me jessica at info at mamasintraining.com, and I will personally connect you with someone who can guide you through your journey. Sasha's story is so rich, raw, and vulnerable, and I hope it encourages you to realize the importance of sharing that vulnerability, as well as the importance of community. As Sasha mentioned, community in multiple forms is essential for us to know when we might need that next level of support When we hear stories from other women, we hold up a mirror to ourselves and we see more clearly. Do you have your community of support lined up? If not, we're here to change that. Join us in the free Facebook group, Mamas in Training, and I will personally connect you with a mom who has been there and can guide you through what you're feeling. It's as simple as clicking on the link in the show notes. Remember, you don't have to do this alone. We are in this together. If you enjoyed the show today, new episodes release every Wednesday. So be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And help us grow our mama community by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That way I know how to better serve you. And finally, I would love to connect on Instagram. You can find me at Mamas in Training Pod. That's M-A-M-A-S in training P-O-D. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together.